This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I am joined today by Mr. Justin Higgins. We were just talking beforehand. If I try to tell everyone what it is that you do or anything like that, I'm really going to mess it up because the list is really long. So we're just going to get into this really tough part which is you telling everyone who you are and what you do and a little bit about your backstory. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not too complicated, Nate. So I came out of college and I worked in Republican politics in Washington, D.C. as a policy advisor for a member of the Tea Party and then for the Republican National Committee with the Trump uh, presidential push in 2016. And then I flipped parties and started working for Democrats. So that's my backstory. Now I'm a consultant and I run Politics Plus Media 101, a podcast that brings on conservatives, libertarians, and Democrats to discuss the issues of the day. Well, that wasn't that difficult. I probably could have done that. I don't know. <laughs> I was listening to the podcast earlier, by the way. It's, a, it's really great. And you do a lot of stuff on Clubhouse. Is that right? Yes, sir. We use Clubhouse so that we can get our audience members directly in front of you know the centers of power. And I appreciate that you listen to some episodes. Uh, we actually recently had Charles C.W. Cook, who you know, libertarian voice at the National Review on. And it's fun to just get into it with all these different people, kind of like you do. Yeah, it's we were talking a little bit beforehand. It's great to actually be able to have a real conversation with someone when I know that you and I probably have a lot of political differences, philosophical differences. And these days, everyone is just so divided. And the way that we talk to one another, there's I mean, do we actually expect that there's going to be a good outcome from the way that we're talking to each other online these days? What do you expect the outcome is going to be? So, I mean, what do you what do you see from this divide right now? It's pretty bad. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Nate. People are on Twitter, uh, political commentators, and they're doing stuff for likes and retweets. And that obviously means that they're virtue signaling to their base, whoever that is, no matter whatever faction. And you get these pithy and glib comments that are kind of offensive, but they get the retweets, the likes, the shares. And if how could anything productive come from that? It's a lot of feel good nonsense. So, so I that I agree with you on social media. It's a bunch of hooey. Yeah, not do you, to swear. <laughs> yeah, you can do do whatever you want. That's totally fine. Do you think social media is mainly to blame for this? Is it media in general? Politicians? Yes. Well, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, what do you mean by media, though? Because that's such a big question. Well, right? just uh, we'll call it uh, your mainstream news media, whatever that, so wh cable whatever news. that means. Yeah, yeah, cable news. Yeah. I mean, so you have the algorithms with the with the social media that presents the most extreme material. That's not good. You have cable news. So I'm thinking CNN, Fox, MSNBC, for example, that 
if you're a politician, the only way you get on these shows is if you say that soundbite and you're super extreme. So that's not good. And then you have the politicians, which play into both of that because you need to have a good social media profile and get on the TV to raise the money and go from a member of the House to the Senate to run for governor to president. So I think it's I think it is all of the above, but I don't think it's hopeless, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that's one thing I wanted to know is, do you do you think the divide is actually as bad as it would seem on, say, social media? When I look at Twitter, I mean, I, I just get so negative rolling through Twitter and then I interact with people, you know, mm-hmm. my daily life. You and I are talking right now. We're OK. You know, this this is OK. So is it actually as bad as it looks? It's not. I mean, I'm sure you watched at least part of the State of the Union. I've flipped open my Twitter and I I follow both left and right. Like I said, I've worked for both parties and you could just tell which party somebody was in by the way they were receiving the speech. And it was really gross because it was all like this political BS. Nobody was looking at it through their own lens. So it is really bad on social media. But no, I think and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that there are fundamentals that all Americans believe in. Uh, you want government out of your life. If, uh, even if you're a Democrat, that's true. You want to be secure economically so you can put food on the table. You want to be secure. You don't want to go out and get shot uh, by somebody, by a cop. So you want uh, actual national security. And then the last thing you want is opportunity, right? Where you can leave a better life for your family. And I, I would assume that you agree with that. And, and that's generally what most Americans want. Yeah, I think a lot of us want the same thing. We just disagree on how it is that we're going to get there. But but we all we just want a better life for ourselves and our children and uh, and then all the other people around us. We just really disagree on how we're going to get there. Do you think the there's hyperbole all over the place right now? Uh, everything is the worst ever. Everything is Hitler. Everything is Stalin. Every, everything is all those. For instance, we had a conversation the other day about NATO, been in the news a little bit recently, had a conversation about that, questioning whether or not it needed to still exist, whether or not we should be in it. And of course, what I found out from that is that means that I'm a Putin apologist, a Russian plant uh, that gets tied into Trump, which is tied into Hitler, which means that anyone who questions NATO is Hitler. And now I'm like, okay, so do you think I'm going to move closer to your side or I'm going to move further away from your side? We kind of need to calm down a little bit of of that hyperbole, don't you think? I do. So I probably vehemently disagree with you you on NATO, but what good would it be? Not only would I look like an asshole if I'm like, oh, this Nate guy's an idiot because he doesn't agree with me. It's not the way to have a civil conversation. It's not the way we need to find common values, right? So if we were to discuss NATO, for example, the way I would take it is what we're seeing in Ukraine. First off, you'd agree with me. It's absolutely awful. The the uh, Ukrainians don't deserve to be Um, uh, facing this. It's a war of choice by Putin. He's now indiscriminately killing men, women, and children. And it's really bad. So we can find common ground there, right? Mm -hmm. So I would take it a step further. The propaganda from Putin and like what our podcast, Politics Plus Media 101 does is we have conservatives and liberals on who are experts in their field, whether they're members of Congress or foreign affairs. So you hear from Putin, and this is really Putin propaganda, 
that NATO is this big threat to him. And that's why this war was created. Um, but that's not the case at all. Right. So there are some legitimate concerns with, with Putin and NATO. But if you listened to what Putin was saying during his speech declaring this war on Ukraine, it stems back to the days of Lenin, really to, to explain this very simplistically. He believes that Ukraine and Kiev is the center of Russian culture. He believed that they were getting too close to the West and democracy and the ideals that we hold here. And he didn't want Ukraine to continue down that path. So he was trying to recapture Russian culture through an invasion that would leave his legacy stronger. And he made two big miscalculations, obviously, uh, one, that the Ukrainian people wouldn't fight back. Uh, and then two, that the West wouldn't do all these sanctions. So that is to say that Putin has now made NATO the talking point where Americans on like you, Nate, with Good Morning Liberty and Justin, now we're debating the value of NATO instead of talking about what these Ukrainians need to fight back this uh, dictator. Yeah. So we we had the discussion about NATO and and just so you know where where I am on this, um, we we know that NATO has nothing to do with why he's doing this at all. And we actually our conversation the other day was about the ridiculousness that we couldn't even have the conversation about NATO, like as libertarians talking about whether or not we need to be in these entangling alliances and, and all of that we should be able to ask those questions yep. without being called Hitler. Uh, I feel like <laughs> that's not going to that's not really going to work. And um, do you you know, I, I've got a pretty pessimistic vision for this, how this whole thing is going to turn out. What are you thinking on it? So from the experts we've spoken with, we've spoken with generals and uh, cybersecurity leaders. It's going to unfortunately and again, these are real people, right? It, it's going to get bad. I think what's going to happen, what we're going to see next is. We just had Republican Mike Waltz on the show, former Green Beret member from uh, U.S. Congress from Florida. Basically, what's going to happen is there's going to be siege warfare. So now Putin is going to encircle these cities. You're seeing it with Kharkiv. You're going to see it with Kiev. And they're going to try and basically starve the population and then also lob in just heavy artillery, which isn't guided. Right. They're not these cruise missiles where you say. I'm going to target Justin Higgins in D.C. and it hits my house and nobody else's. These are artillery shells. I'm going to target Justin Higgins in D.C. and it hits the next block over. Um, so I think what we're going to see, unfortunately, is basically the leveling of these cities. And the Ukrainian people are not going to give up for a while. They are going to fight back. So this could go on, man, for 10 or 15 years, even if a Republican government is installed in some part of the country, these people are not going to give up. Putin has just created everybody to hate him. So there's going to be civil disobedience and resistance until ultimately they're able to break free through maybe Putin's gone or the Russian economy actually does collapse. But to your point, I think the human suffering we will never have seen war crimes and human suffering documented at this scale 24 seven on all of the major news stations ever before. So it's going to be horrific. I hope we don't get dragged in. I just, yeah, I, I, I do too. I, I was going to say when we were talking about media and cable news, I turned on, I was watching BBC for a little bit and I felt pretty good about good that. I, I was just getting information about what was going on. I turned on Fox News 
And it was just like the talking heads opinions about about all of this whole time. I could not believe the difference. Now I didn't compare it to CNN or MSNBC or anything like that, but I really feel like they turned they they ended up with a lot better news station over there with BBC. It was uh, much much better stuff. So you and I just had a conversation here about NATO. You know that we're different on it. You probably. Yeah. Uh, have heard where the ideas of where I'm coming from when it comes to the alliances. You probably know the libertarian uh, position on this. I don't know for sure what should be done about it. I just like to ask the question. I know where you're coming from on this. I think that NATO uh, would have been a great deterrent. I think if Ukraine was a part of NATO, then this probably wouldn't have happened. And all the people that are uh, being I killed right there. now, um, I, I do see that uh, for sure. We were able to just have that conversation, and that that felt great. That's a lot different from what it's normally like online. What can we do to actually address this political divide? Is there a way to bring people together on anything? So I think I do know your points real quick before before we move on. I think the spending is one aspect. I think the international uh, treaties and obligation, you want sovereignty for the country. And like you said, you, maybe you're against it, but you know, you're know you not fully in one camp or the other. I'm down to have these discussions. And I think that that is the way we begin to do this thing, right? It's having listening to somebody and not trying to change your mind necessarily or listening to somebody and realizing that, hey, that neat guy, he's not a bad guy. He just comes at the problem a different way than I do. He wants to solve this problem and we probably want to get to the, a similar solution, maybe a little different, uh, but we take different paths to get there. So how can we, I'm going to give you three practical ways, I, I think, and we're probably going to differ on these. Um, number one is gerrymandering. So you know what gerrymandering is. Mm -hmm. Basically, what has happened is at the state level, both Democrats and Republicans, if you want to look at a Democrat state, go look at Maryland. They just gerrymandered the shit out of it just to get as many Democrats in office as possible. But what you have happen is you have extreme districts that are now very conservative or very liberal. And you have the blue dog Democrats, the moderate Republicans are no more. And those were the people that created bipartisan consensus that would pass legislation that maybe sucked a little bit less for the libertarians, maybe sucked a little bit less for the progressives, but nobody was totally happy. Um, so getting rid of gerrymandering just reduces the overall partisanship that we get in our elected officials. I, I think the second way to do it would be campaign finance reform. I think that big companies, both on the left and the right, just have way too much say. I think that they're influencing uh, legislation in a way that makes these politicians seem out of touch with mainstream Americans. And then that drives the anger and drives the partisanship and the polarization that we're seeing on social media. And then the third, and maybe this is the most controversial, I think something needs to be done with big tech. Uh, we had conservative Ken Buck on the show, who is a Tea Party leader. He was advocating for antitrust legislation to break up these companies. That's one thing. Uh, I think uh, there's now even bipartisan consensus on potentially opening up 230 with a scalpel, not an axe, um, and maybe just taking a look under the hood to see how these algorithms amplify material that is driving young teenagers to have bulimia and driving hatred. Um, so those are my three solutions. Change gerrymandering, make it a, a federal law that prevents it from happening. I think campaign finance reform, get those big corporations out of there so that they can stop dividing us and that the money comes from me and you and 
the politicians react to me and you. And then the third thing is the social media is just, it's too much hate, left and right. Folks, every day on the show, you hear us interacting with our friends in the private Discord group. We've got a new way for you to join, and that's by going to joingml.com or clicking the link in the show description. You can join for as little as six bucks a month, pay for a year if you want a 15% discount, pay more if you want to show that you actually care about the future, or get a lifetime membership to obtain the coveted Real Libertarian label in the private group. We're able to do this show every day of the week when we want with the support of our sponsors and with the help of people like you who want to do your part to get the message of limited government and individual liberty out to the masses. The link opens up to our private Discord server. If you don't know, Discord is a very popular free app with over 200 million users. So if you don't have an account that takes 10 seconds to make one, then you can pay using the credit card or PayPal to watch our show live every day. Don't wait for other people to take action. That's how we got here in the first place. So go to joingml.com. That's join the letter G and then M and then L because this is Good Morning Liberty com or click the link in the description. Now back to the show. So on those things, if we can uh, unpack those a little bit, when it comes to gerrymandering, what is the alternative that people are putting forward? Is it just fixed districts, the lines are drawn, and then it's done after that? No. So what you'd have happen, and different states are taking this into their own hands, it is a nonpartisan commission. So basically, you have the state legislature propose a, um, uh, a, a slate of different maps. So let's say it's a 10 seats in the state. And let's see, let's say it normally goes um, six and four. You'll have the state legislature controlled by the Democrats. So normally it's six Democrats, four Republicans. Let's say the state legislature, legislature proposes eight Democrats and two Republicans. That will then not go to um, the legislature to be ratified. It'll go to this independent commission. And it's happening throughout the United States in these different states right now. And they will either ratify that or they'll strike it down. The other thing you could do is you could have these independent commissions draw these districts. Um, so what does this look in like in practice? You had the census come out in 2020. And you had a lot of Democrats freaked out because I think Montana gained a seat and liberal areas lost a seat, maybe California lost a seat. And they were very afraid that the gerrymandering, all these Republicans, they're going to not play by the rules. They're going to they're going to just rig it so that they get all these seats. But because of these independent commissions, I think don't hold me to this. The process is still going. Democrats actually gained three seats from this new census and redistricting process still playing out. But basically you just have independent commissioners, like four or five of them on a committee and they determine it. Yeah, I can say gerrymandering is one thing I don't have a strong opinion on. I can say the way that I've seen it done. I mean, even my district here that I live in, I was looking at the map and I was like, whoa, that is the most random thing. And then I started looking at the streets and the lines. I was like, oh, okay. I get it. I see what they're doing here. Yeah, so I can it, I can agree that it seems wrong what they're doing right now. I personally don't have a solution for that. I'll have to leave that to to other people. Now, um, big tech, you mentioned antitrust breaking up. What, what do you see that comes 
good from that? Because what I, what I see from that is we go from like one bad company that I don't like to two bad companies that I don't like very much. And then that's basically what I see as the solution we just went through right there. <laughs> I mean, that may be part of it, right? It's not like I'm saying, oh, this antitrust solution, and now we're going to all of a sudden, Nate and Justin, and I hate big tech, are, are going to like big tech, right? Um, so let's look at it this way. Uh, do you think that corporations have too much influence in our political system through the way that they lobby members of Congress, for example? I, I definitely do. We would have differing solutions on that, but okay. I do think they have too much influence. Yeah. Okay. So that's the premise that I'm going to start at looking at big tech and antitrust. Go look at the size of, and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. It's trillions of dollars, maybe for Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, those three. Uh, and then you can go into the other ones as well. There's uh, Amazon and Microsoft. So those five companies are worth so much damn money. Here's the problem. If you were to go Google how much money they're spending on lobbying, they are spending boatloads of money in lobbying. Why? Because they are so much bigger than everybody else that these uh, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars that they're spending in the political process are rounding errors for them. So for starters, what you do by breaking up big tech is you're reducing their power, not only in the market, but in our government when they're doing things that they should not be doing by, uh, for example, hiring all the staff away from the members of Congress so that the staff turnover is so high, they have all the experts, new people come in, these new people need to get read up on the issues, they go to their old friends who are working at Microsoft and Google now to ask them how they should write these, these laws. Um, so that would be the first thing that I think you create is you're reducing the power of these big corporations over you and me. The second thing is you would be um, reducing their power in the market. So you'd go from Facebook owning, I, I think it's uh, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, and all these different things. And, and maybe they just own one of them. Um, so maybe they're just focused on that. And the other theory, according to the conservative who is presenting this case, is that by breaking up these companies, you're going to have more competition in the market. Because if Nate from Good Morning Liberty uh, starts this tech company and you're in the sphere of Facebook, Facebook is going to be less powerful. So they're not going to just be able to buy you out for $200 million when you may have a $500 billion idea right away. They're going to have to let it let it play out. And then you can even pass some laws to, to address it. So that's the best theory of the case. Yeah. my um, uh, So a, a counter I would have to the last one is, uh, let's say I do start an app uh, that's really great for sharing photos or something like that. And uh, I put all my effort, my time into it. And that app someday gets enough users and it gets big enough that Facebook wants to buy it from me for $10 billion. Um, I would really like it if they'll pay me $10, $10 billion for that app. Like that's making it and all the yep. work and everything I put into it. But the government says they can't buy it from me like that. I want to sell it to them. I'm done. I'm ready to retire. I want to get out of here, but they, I can't. Well, I mean, so, so here's the thing that is not true Liberty. Because what you have happening right now is the companies are so large that you're they're preventing a lot of people from actually having the opportunity to create these apps 
and then see the the market value through to being able to actually sell it. Um, so they're buying it for ten million dollars when they maybe shouldn't be buying it right away, and and all these other things. The the other thing to know though, and I'm not an economist, so you're you're talking to me on on some ground that is not my uh, best footing here. The way that government works, or is intended to work, or has always worked, we can go back to uh, AT and T Bell, we can go back to Standard Oil is you have these new technologies that are created. And because we have a free market system, we don't know how to regulate them because you can't, you shouldn't be creating regulations for something that you don't know how it works, how it's going to interact with other systems of of our society, of our economy, of our government. So you ultimately let this thing grow. And then it becomes to such a point where it dilutes the competition, like we're talking about with big tech, it um, through the way that they're lobbying government, they ask for more regulations. And this is more what I was talking about with the person trying to do the tech startup. You have Facebook and these other companies because they have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on lawyers. They are creating regulations that make it harder for Nate and Justin to go and make that startup so that we can then eventually sell it for 10 million or $10 billion uh, because they've tilted the playing field against you and I. So I think what you'll ultimately have happen is throughout American history, if you're looking at this honestly, these technologies create these industries and these industry players that get out of control. They dilute and distort the competition. It reduces the freedom. So then lawmakers need to come in and they need to regulate it to make it more of an even playing field and actually give people liberty. Once again, we can agree that we both want the most competition possible. I think we both agree that competition is great for everyone. It creates, uh, it, it should create cheaper prices, better products for everyone. So we want to get to an environment where we have the most competition possible. We're, uh, uh, you spend enough time in politics and, and I also talk about this stuff every day. We're probably not going to end up uh, coming to an agreement on exactly how we should do this. But I, you know what? <laughs> What I realized, this goes back to some of the divide in the way we talk to each other. It's like, okay, so we, I don't agree a lot with what Bernie Sanders has to say. And well, neither do I. <laughs> I might, I might have uh, said some ridiculous statements about him before. I don't know. We own the website BernieLies.com, where I completely modeled his website and just rebuked all of his statements for his campaign. And I, for a little bit, I got a little bit overboard. He's Stalin. <laughs> He's whatever. And then I realized, you know, this is probably just the way that he thinks is the best way to uh, to make life best for the for the most amount of people. And so, like, when, when you and I are disagreeing on this right now, um, you're trying to get to the same place that I am, which is the most amount of competition, the best products at the cheapest price for everyone. So I can either take what you said as uh, this horrible, terrible tyrant who wants to control everything. There's my libertarian coming through right there. Yep. Or just someone who has a different idea on how to how to do all these things. I'm just, I keep hammering that home for everyone who's listening, uh, that we really have to change the way that we interact with everyone. So I, I agree. And real quick, I am like a Joe Manchin Democrat. So by no means a Bernie Sanders Democrat, and we could get into that. But I agree with Ken Buck on this. And if you go look up Ken Buck, he is maybe one of the top 10 most conservative libertarian members that exists. So I think that there is maybe some common ground 
to be to be felt, even if we don't see eye to eye on how. Uh, I think that we can agree that big tech is pretty big. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's we've been running. I mean, <laughs> I'm a libertarian who says things that sometimes aren't allowed on social media. So we've been running from big tech over the last few years now, going from platform to platform. Uh, we got demonetized on Facebook. I was able to pay all of my bills and then some and then save money off of the money we were making on Facebook. And then we oh, got wow. we got demonetized uh, from from that. I mean, we still in the last uh, month, we've had, no, this is the last week, sorry, we've had about 300,000 views on Facebook on our videos, but we got demonetized. So there's nothing coming from any of them. Uh, so I guess they're still putting the stuff out there. They just don't allow us to pay our bills off of it anymore. So anyway, I, I, I agree, big tech, is, uh, big tech has too much power uh, for sure. Um, going on to some more of the, the political stuff, um, I wanted to ask, now you moved from being a Republican to a Democrat, and I guess it's as good a time as any to ask, why? What happened there? Yeah, so I worked on the Trump campaign, and um, I don't know how you feel about Trump, but uh, it was, so I was a senior opposition researcher. I was handling uh, Obamacare, national defense, foreign affairs, veteran affairs. So the VA system, the health weights, and my job was to mani manipulate the media in favor of the Trump presidential campaign, which, you know, it's politics. I, I was, um, the dark arts, they say of opposition research and, and that's all well and good. It was an experience, but what happened were a couple of things. Number one, my dad's a Vietnam vet. He loved this country. He, he was a Vietnam vet. He loved this country, fought for this country. And you had President Trump attacking the Khan family, a family, a gold star family. So they lost their son in war. They said something at the DNC that President Trump didn't like. A normal person who didn't have mental issues probably wouldn't attack them and call them traitors or whatever he said. So that hit me really hard because like my family is military first, country first, America first. And you see Trump like on a daily basis, not doing those or saying those things. The next thing that happened was seeing how his campaign worked. There was a theory that, oh, well, if Trump wins, he's going to put the adults in the room and he'll listen to them and he'll become presidential. It became very clear very early on that he probably wasn't going to do that. So as these statements that were against my values, against my father, who was a Vietnam veteran, continued to happen, and I realized that he wasn't going to change, uh, that's when I began, began to split with the party. And then uh, I, I did ultimately, eight months later, go work for a Democrat. Um, but the worst part was the way that the Republican Party themselves, you had a collective action problem. You had all of these people in office, and you can name the conservatives that you think are big Trump supporters right now. But on Capitol Hill, behind closed doors, they were talking about him being a maniac, a crazy guy. He's, his morals aren't there. They'd never support him. But guess what? As he got closer and closer to potentially winning, everybody started supporting him. And, and that's ultimately what broke me because I saw this guy who could potentially be a tyrant if, if everything uh, was going his way and there was nothing in the Republican Party to stop him. So that's ultimately um, why I left. And I think January 6th kind of uh, explains the fears. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but I was pretty concerned with this cult 
like following that he we we've talked a lot about that especially from your your view of republicans or conservatives is supposed to be this limited government individual liberty constitution founding fathers all of that and then when i saw this crazy cult it's still it's still there there's still this cult around trump it's they're still talking like he's going to run again and i don't know who the hell thinks that's a good idea at all but someone still thinks it's a good idea and he's got enough uh, he's got enough cult-like followers out there that he's he's probably still going to do it i hope to god he isn't the actual nominee but uh but who knows uh, but that was really concerning to me um I, I i didn't vote for him twice but i also don't think he was uh as terrible as the like left-wing media made him out to be now he might personally be that terrible uh i don't it's pretty bad yeah i'm, I'm sure <laughs> i'm sure he is but the actual uh the po the policies and things like that that i saw i didn't see those being as bad and of course as a libertarian i was happy that we at least didn't invade a new country while he was president so i was happy almost about started that. a war with a but <laughs> But he didn't. There was an opportunity. Who knows? Any any other amount of people in there? I'm just saying for the for the first time I remember in my life, we didn't invade a new country, and I was happy about that. Hey, I still didn't vote for him, and I still wouldn't vote for no, him again. No. I'm just trying to give props on one uh, specific thing you. there. You know, isn't that bad that that's a good thing that I saw? Oh wow, we didn't bomb any new people. We just kept bombing the same people we were already bombing. That's great. And I mean, I think that from your perspective, it would be a positive trend. We're pulling out of Afghanistan, ending the endless wars, as, as they're called. But when you look at so I hear this right. And oh, I don't like Trump. I like his policies. He didn't have anything to do with his policies. They were not run by him. They, there wasn't even being a D.C. insider. There wasn't even a coherent structure in his administration. His policies were run one offs. Somebody would have a pet issue in the administration and they would go and they would then enact those pet issues. And, and either he wouldn't know about it or he would give his sign off. Um, so I, I think that it, the the issue with January 6th was was a very serious thing. Right. He incited a terrorist attack on our capital to, to ultimately try and stay in power. Now, your point about the liberal media, I mean, Jeff Zucker at CNN, and I think CNN's better than MSNBC, but this guy, he ultimately showed all of the Trump rallies in the primary so that he helped Trump in the primary. He showed all of the Trump rallies during the general election because it was entertainment. And he gave Trump all of this earned media and the other media channels, Fox and MSNBC, they followed along. Um, so from that perspective, just giving this freak show more air, uh, that was not good. And then I agree there was in, in a lot of cases there was um, or in certain cases, there was some hysteria and going overboard. But ultimately, from my lens, I mean, maybe you don't see it the same way. I think inciting a terrorist attack on our country to not allow for a peaceful transfer of power for the first time in our history is almost as bad as it gets. And I think that that vindicates a lot of the criticism directed at him. Now, we happen to be live on January 6th doing an episode oh, and we, we kept it playing the whole time. And uh, there, you know, I, I will say, I, I guess I don't look at it as much of a, of a terrorist attack. I, I, 
I think I if people would have had more weapons and things like that, like uh, well, like if there was just no way that people could have easily gotten them back out of there, you know, it lasted for like four hours. Uh, while we were live talking about it, we were just railing against this is stupid. I don't care how mad you are about something. This is the most ridiculous thing you could do. We said on that day during that episode, this is going to be used against you for years to come. There's nothing good that's going to, and it has to do with this election, the stolen election theory, which has not been proven. No one's put out any evidence that there was any kind of stolen election. So you're, you're, you're actually over there breaking stuff, risking people's lives. People died over something that's not even proven. We don't even have any evidence about it. I mean, heck, at least as a libertarian, if it would have been over taxation, well, heck, I, you know, I guess I could have had something else to say about that, but it was over this stupid unproven theory that, uh, that I, th I think it turned out to be the truth that it seems like Trump lost the election and they, uh, they went and, and rioted and, and took over the Capitol for what seems like no reason at all. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was very frustrating. It was not, it was not a good thing at all. Uh, I have to listen back to our episode and just see how, how many terrible things we said to anyone who supported it <laughs> that day. But I can only imagine I was, I was in DC. I live about a mile from the Capitol. Mm -hmm. I had friends in the building and people don't realize that coups aren't, they don't look like these armed military exercises. What we saw on January 6th is what a coup looks like. It just wasn't successful. So I do, I, I'm more maximalist. I think throw these people away in jail. If you're, if, if dude, think about it like this. If you are stupid enough to think that it is okay to interrupt the business of Congress, regardless if it's a Democrat or Republican Congress and the business is Democrat or Republican or libertarian, you deserve to be thrown away in jail for a few years anyways, just because of how stupid you are. So, I mean, <laughs> do you do, do you understand uh, any of the, the side where um, it seems like this uh, this attack on the Capitol uh, is so much worse than, say, what happened during the summer of 2020? Now, I'm sure you've heard plenty of people say that before, but um, a lot of people died during the summer of 2020. Uh, once again, we're libertarians, any kind of criminal justice reform we can do, of uh, legalize everything, stop the interactions with police. We need way less interactions with police uh, for sure. That'll, that'll help the problem. Criminal justice system is totally screwed up, all that stuff. But what I saw from the media and uh, I think, uh, was it Scarborough who said something about uh, not caring about man? someone's taco stand or something something like that? Like, oh, I don't care, your taco stand got burnt down or tore up. And this idea that <clears throat> the capital is so much more, it's like this cathedral, it's like this monument here. It's so much more important than my house or my business or what I spent my entire life building. I think a lot of, I think that really bothered a lot of people and further the divide once again. So, so I, so here, I, I think the capital is this sacred ground because without the capital and without government, I know you're not a big fan of big government, but without government, you don't have a country and without a country, then you don't have a military without a military. Then you have China, uh, invading America and taking all of our natural resources and making us slaves like the Uyghurs for a nightmare scenario, right? Um, so I do think it is a sacred place because it's also a place where Nate and Justin, we disagree on a lot. We may disagree on NATO, but it's a place where we settle those disagreements civilly. 
And that's what it represents. Now, what you're talking about is absolutely asinine. You have people on the far left, not the left left, but the far left saying defund the police and crazy bullshit like that. And then you have, I don't know if it was Scarborough, whoever you're saying, telling uh, hardworking Americans like my parents that their small business doesn't matter if it gets looted and burned to the ground. No, just because there was a terrorist, Justin thinks there was a terrorist attack on January 6th does not mean that whatever happened in the summer of 2020 with the looting and the burning is okay. I I don't know why people uh, would ever uh, go along with some of the stuff that Rep uh, Omar and, and other people were saying. You have strong Democratic voices and Republican voices agreeing. Jim Clyburn, you don't loot. We're going to arrest you. Like it is clear as day. Nate, his dream was to create uh, this pancake stand in Tennessee. He worked his ass off. He saved his money and he's going to see his dream through because that is the American dream. We gave him the opportunity through creating a civil government so that you could then realize this. Why is that any less important, your dream, than anybody else's dream? So I am with you that anybody in the media or in politics minimizing the destruction of hard-earned dreams is ridiculous. I think there just is a false equivalency between some talking heads saying some stupid shit and people trying to kill Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. No, I see where you're coming from there for sure. Um, on to, uh, we're talking about some of the far left right now. I think that's going to have some repercussions when it comes to the midterms. How bad are the midterms going to be for Democrats on a scale of nine to ten? <laughs> 11. <laughs> um, not good. Not good. And so I'm I'm like working. Polit- I'm a political consultant. So you won't really hear this normally from political consultants. I think that the situation that was inherited was just so bad, so fucked with covid. Well, first off, you have this t- this this Trump guy who's unhinged and he's a threat to democracy. So you run a campaign like Joe Biden did about uniting America, which is good, about being boring, which is what the country wanted at the time, and um, also beating COVID. And COVID was nowhere near being beaten. So you then get in office, which is good, but being boring doesn't mean that you're going to be winning the ratings wars or be energizing the base to go out and vote. So that's a problem. The fundamental that you ran and won the campaign on doesn't help you win the next one. Uh, the second problem is COVID wasn't over, dude. Now it is. It is over, apparently, according to the CDC and everybody else. I'm just glad I don't have to wear a fucking mask anymore. Uh, <laughs> that that was really tough. Uh, but it, it took a while, man. Everybody that voted for him maybe thought, okay, now we're going to be back to normal. We're now in March, and now they're saying it's done. So that so that was another problem. Inflation is a big issue, even though there's been an economic revival, people feel inflation the most, of course, because you go to your gas pump and you're paying a dollar more. Um, so I think that these issues are the reason why Democrats are going to get crushed. Now, the only question is, do they lose 20? Do they lose 30? Do they lose 40 or 50 seats? I would argue they're probably around 20 to 30 because of gerrymandering. We're so damn polarized that it's going to be tough to have that 50 seat election. Uh, But I also don't think there's anything that they could do messaging wise 
that it could maybe tinker around the fringes uh, to prevent this from happening just because of the structural issues. Yeah, right now, I, I feel like inflation is pretty much the, the biggest issue because that's yep. where it hurts people the most. We feel it every day. I can I can feel it when I go to the grocery store. I got two bags and it was $75. I'm like, what the heck did I even buy just then? Some of the numbers, we which we have said this on that we try to be as fair as we possibly can be, some of the numbers... The inflation numbers seem a little bit inflated because you are pulling from a year when there was no demand in the in the market. And and so some of these like gas, okay, gas was super cheap because no one was going anywhere. And so when you talk about, oh, gas prices have doubled, okay. Maybe we should pull from 2019 instead of 2020. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about it from from that year instead. So I do we we go into a lot of data on the show and we 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 like to not cherry pick the data sets and make things sound as bad as possible. But it seems like a lot of this is just going to have to do with the supply chain. I don't really think what the Fed is going to do is going to have much to do about it because this is not this is not a normal inflation. This is not the economy overheated. We we allow people to borrow too much money and the economy just moved too fast and we got to slow down the borrowing. The Fed's not, I was listening to Jerome Powell speak about it yesterday. They have a limited amount of things they can do. The supply has got to be fixed. Now we messed with the supply with some uh, restrictions. We also messed with the demand with uh, with some of the money that we pumped into the economy. So there's some fault on both sides right there and by the way a lot of that money happened while trump was still in office so that's important to remember too well and then the numbers thing it's like sure there have been millions of jobs created but that's because there were millions of jobs lost thank you thank you so much for saying that (laughs) we have spent so much time talking about this and every time i see someone mention it like oh this is the best with we created the most jobs out of any president in american history in the first year i'm like Really? Who's it's actually going true? It is technically but... true, but come on, man. <laughs> come on. No, no it, it, it bugs me too. Um, and, and it really bugs my uh, progressive friends. And, and when I, when I crap on them uh, for that, no, I agree with you, man. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the result of spending the, I'm at this level. I think spending all that money was necessary. We didn't know what COVID was. We were shutting people down. We were shutting businesses down. Could it have been spent better and actually gone to small businesses? Yes. Uh, Should more money have gone to people so that government was out of their shit and that they could decide how to spend the money? Yes. Um, But you're going to have inflation. Like you just, everything you just said about the inflation, I agree with. It's going to take a while to fix. And is the Democrats are going to get crushed in 2022 because of it. Now, 2024 is uh, too far away. But um, I, I, I do agree with you. And I think that um, the other thing that people maybe aren't realizing is what we're going to see on the news because of Ukraine. And it's good that we're going to see it, but it's going to be really fucking bad. It's going to be women and children starving to death, getting bombed. It's going to be some serious stuff. And that's very likely, in my humble opinion, uh, because I'm more of a foreign policy guy than an economics guy, it's going to ratchet up the sanctions against Russia because Vladimir Putin does not give a shit. He's a psychopath. He's a dictator. And he hates Ukrainians. And he just wants that land because he thinks it's the cultural center of Russia. So that is a long way of saying we could end up with sanctions on Russian gas and oil. And if that happens, there's no way to just turn on a tap and like, 
make America produce all of this and make uh, your Middle Eastern allies and countries around the world that have the ability produce more. That takes time and uh, international relations and diplomacy. Um, so gas prices could shoot up even way higher than what we're talking about now. And that's a big problem. Yeah, because what what people you got to keep tracing that through gas prices affect the supply chain of everything. All of your goods were carried to whatever the store is, the products that made those goods before it went to the store. Those were carried there by something that was running on fuel. And um, do you think that this is going to end up being a good argument for uh, more domestic production or is it going to end up being mainly used as an argument for more renewable energy? Both. Yeah. Why can't it be both? Yeah. Um, we had a progressive on the show and I keep harping on this. I'm very center. Um, we had a progressive on the, I, I just, uh, we had a progressive on the show and he was like, Oh, let's use Russia. It was very uncouth the way. So it was very, um, uh, tone deaf and almost offensive the way he was saying, like, let's use this crisis to, uh, promote renewable energies. And we pressed him because if you listen to politics plus media one-on-one, you'll see we press Republicans and Democrats the same and libertarians. Um, so we're like, okay, we can understand maybe in 10 years, we can limit Russia gas and oil on the, on the global stage and we can re fill, replace it with uh, renewables. That sounds great in 10 or 15 years. Uh, but what are we going to do right now? And we got the progressive to agree with us that you need to pump more because it's not only us, man, it's our allies. So this big NATO guy over here, uh, I like our alliances. I like what our brothers and sisters in Germany are doing, sending all of those weapons over to Ukraine to kill all of those fucking Russian soldiers. That's good. So we can't just let them. It's like letting your uh, asking your neighbor to, to help you out. And then when they need help, just tell them to go screw. Um, so I think to, to answer your question in the short term, we need to drill, baby, drill, uh, get these leases going, uh, pump as much gas and oil as possible, export as much of it as possible, and also work on the renewables. And you, there's no reason why you can't do both. Yeah. One, one thing that we really need to do is at least send the signal that we're going to pump more because right now the prices are not reacting to, uh, we had all the shipments stopped and now we're about to run out of oil. Now the price is real. They're reacting to future prices right now yeah. and future projections. And so if we start talking about how we're going to drill more, we're going to open up all the leases that will itself help with the current prices, even if it's not physically going to give us oil right now, if it's going to give us oil a year from now, that will actually help with the prices. And I have seen to see the opposite coming from right now. What you said that Progressive was saying, that's interesting because my conspiracy brain has just been going. I don't actually think this is happening, but my conspiracy brain goes and like, ooh, this is all big solar and wind pushing for this war all <laughs> no. over, you know, because, you know, one thing that bothers me is that we talk about big oil has big oil had stuff to do with some of the wars overseas, some terrible things like that. A lot of probably a lot of terrible people running a lot of these companies for sure. You know who big solar and wind's going to be run by? A lot of terrible sons of bitches too. That's really what's going to be, who's going to be running those. They're just people trying to make money off their companies also. So I always, I always, uh, we've been telling people for two years now that we'll have wars fought and they're going to be influenced by big solar. By That's, minerals. Yeah. And minerals. Yeah. I mean, um, mm. the other thing, just to add on to what you were saying with opening up the valves and drilling and pumping, it gives you more leverage to go and negotiate with OPEC. So you get them to pump more. And then that's another depressant on the prices. I agree. I haven't, 
I'm fi- fair to be critical. I think they've done a phenomenal job on this Ukraine issue. I think they need to really recalibrate their energy issue because uh, it's it's going to just really hurt people, hurt working class Americans. And there's no need for that. We can we can. I believe in climate change. I, I think we need green energy. You can do two things. You can chew gum and walk at the same time if you're in the administration. And I think they have failed us in that regard. But again, I go back and thank God President Trump isn't uh, in office. Would he have nuked? Putin would he have just said, "Hey, have Ukraine"? It's 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 my 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 honor here. Here's the gift to you: take Ukraine. Like I don't know what would have happened. Uh, so I'm just grateful that at least we have somebody competent dealing with Ukraine. Question: So what you just said, you have no idea what President Trump would have done. Is that possibly a deterrent for this to have not happened? So I've read a lot about it. We talked to these <laughs> experts. I don't think it is. I think the deterrent for maybe not having happened in Trump's second term is he was getting all Putin was getting all that he wanted from Trump in a lot of different ways. So go look at the first impeachment. There was a government accountability office report, GAO, it's called. It shows that ultimately Trump stopped the weapons going to Ukraine. That was good for what Putin wanted. There was then a legal issue where the weapons had to be sent over. Um, so so no weapons to Ukraine was a good thing he wanted. He wanted a weakened NATO. Trump was doing that, not to bring it back to the NATO conversation. There was a theory that Trump may have pulled out of NATO in the second term, and then that would have just opened up not only Ukraine for Putin, but uh, the whole eastern flank. Because if you look at actually the defense funding of European countries, they haven't been paying their, their 2%. What does that mean? They don't have a military that's capable of springing into action. Germany is six months, according to the expert we just spoke to, to a year away from actually being able to send their military into anywhere. So I don't think that Putin would have invaded because he would have probably taken a lot more of Eastern Europe if Trump had withdrawn from NATO and done some of the policies uh, that, that he was apparently heading towards in his second term. Yeah, I can see that being the case as well. My uh, my hope is that the withdrawing from NATO thing, I don't think Trump actually has any principles or philosophy on anything. My, my hope was that that was a negotiating tactic to try and stop that 4% or whatever it is that we were paying Two. out of our GDP. Um, yep. I, I, I saw some... Uh, some talk when he was talking to them and I, he said the real number was four. I don't know. I didn't look into Maybe. it. That's what he said. So I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Who knows? It could be one for I have for a all bridge to sell you if we're going to yeah. start <laughs> but, but the good thing about this, the silver lining, there's nothing good about it, man, is especially from a libertarian perspective on NATO, the result is, guess what? Europe wants to defend themselves now. Germany is pledging more than 2% in spending moving forward. All these countries are starting to do that. That means less of our hard-earned dollars have to go back. And another thing that's probably libertarian, once Putin's ass is kicked, whether it be the Ukrainians, I'm not going to get into what operations I think we're doing over there on the ground, uh, but it's going to be through our weapons. There's going to be a shitload of dead Russians sent back in body bags, which is a good thing, unfortunately, in this case. Russia needs to rebuild Ukraine. It, it doesn't need to come from from American money. Um, we can uh, finance it through some loans, but it needs to come from Russian oil and gas profits. They're responsible for destroying it. They need to rebuild it. And I just wanted to get that off my chest because it really pisses me off. I would not be surprised 
whatsoever if Putin dies from a mysterious illness over the in the next couple weeks, you know, just randomly, or he's killed in an unfortunate hunting accident out in uh, the you know out in the woods somewhere. I wouldn't trips be out surprised. Of a window. Yeah, trips. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> one of the worst things. Okay, so I guess I got it. Man, we're we're at the end of, the end of an hour here, so. I'm figure out what the most important thing was that I was going to ask. One thing I wanted to know about your political philosophy. Well, first off, I guess I kind of want to know what that is. When you switch from Republican to Democrat, did your philosophy, your any principles or philosophy actually change? Or do you feel like the parties shifted and you, you remain the same? Well, it's both, right? Um, so I do believe in a strong, robust defense, but I also believe in a strong constitution and the rule of law. And that's really why uh, one reason why I um, became a Republican. And obviously, from my perspective, the way I view what happened and was happening, the Republicans didn't really care about the constitution. So I'm like, OK, well, that's a problem. Uh, another thing that happened is I right out of college, I was lobbyist for Fortune 400 agribusiness. So a very big company I was lobbying and that's what I learned. And I prioritized the health and well-being of these corporations, maybe a little bit too much uh, in my worldview. So I uh, you know, thought globalization was this amazing thing. And I tied globalization to free trade, which you don't have to completely tie the two things together like that. Um, and I, I, I just was all in on that. Republican Party was in on that. And what I did was I reevaluated things. And this was I, I there was n a number of cop shootings of of uh, black men. And I reprioritized maybe the corporate aspect of creating a healthy and proper society to maybe more civil rights and the way that I view civil rights. And uh, that's not uh, sending your police forces the weapons from Iraq, like a lot of conservatives like to do, militarizing the police. Uh, that is justice reform, criminal justice reform, like libertarians like. And those two things became way higher up on my level of priorities. So you combine the love for the Constitution and, and so civil rights and uh, criminal justice reform, and I've also changed pretty uh, dramatically as well. Yeah, see, these are a lot of things that we can agree on. And and when it comes to the criminal justice reform, uh, I really hope people realize how many people are in prison for uh, ridiculous offenses where they never hurt anyone but themselves, even if maybe, maybe didn't even hurt themselves. A lot of people in prison for ridiculous things. Uh, we have way too many interactions with police. The more interactions you have on a percentage basis, the more bad things are going to happen. And then, of course, you are going to have some biases in there from, from people, too. And we have to realize that we're creating a terrible cycle in society when you send someone off to prison and then they can't get a job afterwards they can't vote afterwards they have no life but going back to crime after that like what do you actually expect is is going to happen there are really things that we can work on and of course libertarians pretty clear on this viewpoint that you know that could actually help a lot of people I, if i were if i were president day one i'm letting everyone out who had a nonviolent offense non you never hurt anyone offense. but yourself they're they're out of there i can't keep i can't keep you in a cage for doing nothing Maybe we keep the white collar criminals yeah okay uh, that we're stealing <laughs> let's say if you never harmed anyone but yourself 
you're you're out you can get out i'm not going to keep you in a cage for doing that that's ridiculous and uh what is your view uh, so obviously i'm all for legalizing marijuana and and making uh that stuff well if you legalize you get more tax revenue which would maybe offset the amount of taxes we pay but what's your views just i'm curious what's yeah. your views on other substances I would rather people not do them, but I, of course, don't see that I have the authority to stop anyone from doing those things. And in fact, I actually think that it would end up being better. There's a really bad fentanyl overdose problem right now. I would rather uh, something like uh, cocaine be able to be purchased at Walmart and they would end up getting trouble if they sold people a lot of cocaine that had fentanyl in it. And uh, you would actually stop a lot of these overdoses if these were approved drugs. I know it's ridiculous, sounds ridiculous, but that would actually help if these were approved drugs with brand names on them. That's not the world I want for people to just be running out and doing all of that stuff. But I also... I could never justify putting someone in prison when they just did something that was bad for themselves. I don't know. I had a bunch of Doritos earlier. Should I go to prison? That was really bad for me. <laughs> I think you, you know? should get on a, a treadmill. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look at what the look at what the um, uh, Purdue Pharma what they did. So that it was even worse than that. Mm -hmm. They went and they told all these people that they're not this. This is not addictive. Here, Nate, you can, you can, here, use this. If you have any pain, it's going to solve your pain. It's not habit forming. You can take it if you're an alcoholic and you're in recovery, don't worry about it. And they did this under the guise of a government label that agreed and legitimized their claims. Um, so no, I, I think that those, those uh, companies like that are, are pure evil. And, and I understand what you're saying. Do you think those big pharmaceutical companies have anything to do with why we haven't at least legalized marijuana yet? Do you think they're, they're helping? Because I see like a company that's making pain medication. Um, I, I feel like marijuana would be able to help out a lot of people that have pain. I think we've, We've got some studies on that. Maybe it wouldn't take care of all the most extreme stuff. So I see a lot of incentive from them to try and stop it from ever being legalized. Uh, is there a lot of backdoor dealing that goes on? You've been in that system. Um, so I don't think it's pharmaceutical companies. What I, I think what you have here is, I could be wrong too. Um, I think it's more of a culture war. And the congressman I worked for was a strong conservative Catholic, and he was just culturally opposed. And a lot of the people in Kansas were culturally opposed to marijuana. It was like, uh, you know, the, the 1950s reefer madness, the, the documentary. Mm -hmm. So so I think what you have happen is and and it took Democrats a while, man, to 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 get on the, the legalize it train. I think. Joe Biden, and not to shit on him, he <laughs> he fired, I think it was 20 staffers for having smoked marijuana, despite promising not to do that when he first started in office, which is disgusting. Um, so it's not I think it's a cultural issue. He's he's, a, you know, a strong Catholic and and maybe it had something to do with with his being brought up in the 1920s or whenever he was brought up. Um, so I think it's more a cultural issue, to be honest, than a lobbying issue. And I think it's a matter of time. We just need a few Republicans uh, to be OK with it. And it would pass the Senate tomorrow. Give yeah. me 10 Republicans mm -hmm. and then we can legalize marijuana. 
there we go. I'm I'm not sitting here waiting on it or anything, but I am waiting on it for a lot of other people because I know there can be some benefits. And Same. I hate the idea that there are people that are imprisoned because of this. It's it's ridiculous to me. And another thing about our prison system, it needs to be like Germany where you're rehabilitating people. And I yeah. don't know how libertarians feel about that, but like locking somebody up in a cage for these nonviolent crimes and then giving them no way to get the skills to reintegrate into society is pretty fucked up. Well, for sure, we first off, we don't want them to be locked up in a cage for Correct. doing that either. <laughs> uh, second, we would it, when even when it comes to any other crimes, if you paid your debt to society and you're able to be freed for whatever the crime was, then you're either re-entering society or you're not. Like you should still be in prison or you're out of prison and you've paid your debt. So that comes with uh, voting rights, yeah. things like that. That's really if you're saying the person can't be allowed to vote. Why did you let them out of prison? You're, you're saying they can't be a part of society? They can't be a part of functioning society. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so why did you let them out of prison? So either they're a part of society or they're not. So there's a there's a lot of things where libertarians and maybe Democrats should get yeah. together. Of course, we're not bringing much to the table. You guys need an extra couple hundred thousand people around the whole country to help you out. Maybe, uh, <laughs> but um, there's, a, there's some places where we should all work together for sure. Well, on those issues that there is a place for libertarian voices. And I'd like to hear... Like, I'm trying to think what members of Congress mostly embody, because I know Justin Amash used to, uh, what you're preaching. But I think that a lot of times people overlook libertarians and they're wrong for doing so, because if you guys had some issues and there was momentum on those issues at the federal level, like what we're talking about, uh, your voices go a long way because you can then message to the conservatives that uh, represent where you live in a way that will resonate more so than having a hippy dippy liberal go and try and talk to their member of Congress. So I think that there is a role for libertarians to play and it would make society a little bit better for libertarians based on the values that we're at least talking about. Yeah, we just uh, we just don't want to hurt people and don't want to take their stuff. You know, that's uh, that's what we what we care about, I guess. Um, tell everyone one more time about your uh, your podcast and, and is on the actual app. It's Politics and Media 101, right? I was calling it PM 101 in my in my mind. Yeah, but, that's the yeah. that's the website. It's Politics, the space plus space media 101. Probably need a rebrand. Um, <laughs> but what we do is. Uh, Politics Plus Media 101 is a really simple show where we bring in experts. So if we're talking about Russia, Ukraine, or if we're talking about criminal justice reform, we'll bring on different guests. We'll bring on a Republican one day, Libertarian the next, Democrat the next. And we will ask them tough questions in a respectful way that gets us information on what's actually going on. So we knew that Ukraine was going to be invaded back in mid-December because we had all the experts on. They said it was going to happen. It wasn't just CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. We bring on members of Congress to do the same thing, both parties. We just had a Republican on today. And then we do it with the media as well. We've had Fox News White House correspondent on and then Hallie Jackson from MSNBC. And we just try and honestly, Nate, we have the conversation that you and I had today just to hear like what they think, wh where they think they're going wrong, where they think they're going right. And in doing so, we then just try and bring it to the audience. The audience will ask a couple questions because Justin maybe is being biased in a certain way. So we'll have a libertarian come in and be like, hey, uh, so about that bill, you're spending a lot of money. Isn't that a bad thing? Um, so that's how we check our bias. And we try and have this independent minded show uh, with the leaders of American politics and bring it right to the audience. 
That's great. I'll make sure the links are in there. I have to ask you, That's one more, we, I had this down. I really wanted to ask you one more thing, but you just mentioned uh, the fact that we knew Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And I was going to admit to you that I didn't think there was any chance it was going to happen. Well, that's I even, fine. I even tweeted saying that I thought that this was just a way for Biden to get a win, that he was going to make it look like everything was really bad and then come out with this magical peace deal and that they weren't going to do it. And then we do a show where we make fun of dumb tweets. Okay, I'm adding to the division problem. I'll admit that. We do a show where we make fun of dumb tweets on Fridays and we included our tweet yeah, last, good, last Friday and made fun of ourselves. We cut the video, we put it on TikTok, we put it out there making fun of ourselves. And uh, so the reason was, I don't trust anything the media says at all. I don't trust anything the government's telling me. I don't trust anything the media says. They told me that there were WMDs in Iraq. You know, I thought that there was a good reason to go in there. And so what is, is the media going to work on this problem, you think? So I don't think all the media is bad. I think that there are, uh, it depends on what you're consuming, right? So I would argue if you want a full picture of uh, what's happening in Ukraine, um, don't just stick to CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Uh, MSNBC, maybe you'll say Biden's doing great. Fox News, the opposite. CNN's going to focus, uh, I don't know, on the Ukrainian people or something like that, um, which is good. They, and I'm not like trying to downplay that at all. Um, but what I think you you need to do is I don't expect the media to fix it. I expect you and me and your listeners and my listeners to read an article by the top reporter at the New York Times on the issue to do the same from the Washington Examiner. So now you're getting a center left, a center right opinion. And then even if you're really interested, go find the center left think tank like CSIS, go find their center center, go find the center right think tank like the Hudson Institute, go read what the experts are saying. Um, so there are different ways that you can get your news. And if you really, really want to get it from uh, the horse's mouth, go read what the experts are saying. And you're smart enough. Go listen to a few mem Democrat members and a few Republican members, probably somewhere in the middle, and, and you can probably figure it out. So I think it's a incumbent upon us, Nate, because I don't have faith that, uh, for example, the mainstream cable news is going to get uh, better anytime soon. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, just so you know, this adds a lot of positivity in my life that we're actually able <laughs> to talk about this because normally I'm just uh, getting upset with people that I'm reading what they're saying on Twitter and everything. And uh, one thing I want to tell all of our listeners, there is a podcast out there. The, the link is going to be in the show notes where people who have differing opinions talk to each other civilly about things and people ask questions and they answer the questions and it's not just a bunch of name calling and all this craziness. Maybe things aren't as bad as uh, we're led to believe they are. So Justin, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you very much, Nate.